at Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. But are friends really friends? If you don't know them, so grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can chat movies like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And this week, I am joined by Sif Pop editor, Robert. Uh, it's time to get back to the writer's room. <laughs> yeah, you're just going to throw that up front this time. <laughs> I, I, I missed last month, so I need to bring my chaos this month. Mm, fair. I think um, I'm pretty sure one of them got you covered, Rowan or Heath. I'm pretty sure somebody said it last week. They're a real one, oh, if that's one. the case. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's been a month and I've slept since then. So <laughs> uh, I'm also joined by Sif Pop contributor, Jacob. Hello. We write for SifPop.com. We do movie reviews, best ever challenges, and lots of other interesting movie-related articles. So make sure to check out the website SifPop.com to keep up with all that. On this week, on the podcast episode, we're going to be talking about um, a, a, a thing up top. And then um, we'll get to the coming attractions in a little bit. And then we'll move on to the Sif topic. Since Robert's on, we're talking about our goats. You guys picked Good Morning Vietnam. So we'll talk about Good Morning Vietnam. And then... Um, for the B plot, um, I think what, like an hour and a half ago, we decided to do best ever late eighties movies. So, um, we'll do movies that released 1985 to 89. Um, we'll do it best ever challenge style. So, um, and we'll do the spinoff quick recommend or warn from each person. Uh, but first, uh, yeah, that's the first, uh, let's get a chance to know our writers. Um, guys, it was Barbenheimer this weekend. Um, and um, I got a chance to see both movies on two different days, two different theaters, two different cities. Um, Robert, I think you did a true double feature, if I'm not mistaken. And Jacob saw one of the films. I'm curious, what was your like theater experience like? Not not necessarily opinions on the movies, um, but what was it like being at a theater this weekend um, with these two big releases? So I saw Oppenheimer yesterday morning, uh, Sunday, about 930 um uh, going in there weren't that many people there you know um those showings are you know kind of crowded um and then yeah got out got out of the movie about one and it's so funny because you just see a sea of pink in, in the concession line in the mm-hmm. lobby like in the hallways everywhere mm-hmm. it's you know barbie mania we, we saw that from the box office numbers this weekend obviously it's a, i thought that was really cool and uh yeah it, you just kind of feel a buzz you know, especially with with Oppenheimer too. Like even in my auditorium, you didn't really even hear a lot of people talking, rustling around. They were just even through the trailers, they were just sort of ready to experience. I was so surprised the few amount of people that got up and went to the bathroom in the middle of Oppenheimer, even though like most people still had concessions. Uh, also, I had a fun. There was a fun moment where, like, 15 minutes into the movie, somebody cracks a soda can. And it's, like, during the one not outrageously loud scene in the movie. I was like, uh, yeah. It's like, way to hide it, buddy. Anyway. <laughs> How'd you know his name was Buddy? Oh. Was... Says it on his name tag. We had a co- nice conversation afterwards. <laughs> yeah. So I'm saying Barbie tonight. I will try to find my pink shirt nice. and uh, the one that doesn't exist and wear that. And, uh... Yeah, I'm excited. I saw, I saw Barbie Friday morning, um, and I went to a 10:45 a.m. showing, and like my theaters haven't been doing like a lot of morning showings recently, like even on Fridays. 
Um, just since COVID stuff, I think just m- people uh, people come Friday night and you know weekend nights and whatnot. Like I think my theater was just a lot slower to like fully open again um, mm-hmm. and get the staffing to maintain and everything. Anyway, so I was like, oh, cool. And uh, 1045 on a Friday, how many people are going to be there? Most people have jobs and, um, you know, so I should be good. So I show up at the theater. It's a 1045 screening. I get there at like 1048 because I'm running behind because I, you know, got the BEC ready Friday morning. And um, yeah, I get to the, uh, I get to the movie theater and I'm going to use movie pass. Cause like I used to, I try to buy tickets in advance, but you can't at my theater with the movie pass card. Cause I don't have AMC a list. So I'm stuck with movie pass. Um, so I was going to use the card and there's two total people working, you know, box office and concessions at the same wow. register. And right. there's a line, probably 20 people back. And so I just pulled up my Marcus theaters app, bought a ticket oh. and, online used my movie pass card and uh just like walked into the theater i was gonna get an ic but you know what (laughs) they lost my ic money anyway um yeah so i i just like i'm like i'm already kind of late i'm not waiting in this line especially since everybody's gonna get concessions too so i was like here bought this ticket i just i walked i was surprised the amount of people that were there and it wasn't even like it's biden's america for you no one's at work everyone's seeing barbie (laughs) unbelievable (laughs) <laughs> Think, thanks Obama um, no but there was it wasn't even like like I think the next showing was like 11.15 or 11.30 like it wasn't like there was an 11 o'clock and this was everybody trying to get you know 11 o'clock Oppenheimer ticket like no like Barbie was the only thing you know and yeah they were just clearly backed up clearly understaffed and clearly weren't anticipating it but you know it, it was just it was a really interesting experience because this theater like I, I've, I've not had to wait in a line for a long time at um yeah what was it what was it like for you robert uh i got to go down to or go up to new york city to see it with um sif pop writers shane and foster and we did the double feature we did barbie first at like 11 20 um like you said it's a little less surprising since it's new york city but it was it was a theater right next to penn station and madison square garden but it was uh completely full a lot of people wearing pink uh they had like the Barbie box set up outside the theater where you can like take pictures and pretend like you're a Barbie doll. Uh, so I ended up taking people's pictures. Um, my wife actually made herself a Barbie dress, like the same exact one that Margot Robbie wears in the opening of the movie, That's like awesome. that pink and white checkered one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so and she wore it. Uh, so people were complimenting her all day. So that was that was part of the fun of the whole thing. Um, and then we headed over to Oppenheimer afterwards to Lincoln Center where they uh, have the 70 millimeter IMAX showing. We were able to get tickets for that. So jealous. Um, so jealous. You mean the giant 11 mile yeah, print? It was awesome. That I, one? Yes. Yes. My The closest theater to me that does that, I had a friend texted me when, when that was, uh, he's like, yo, we got to see Oppenheimer and IMAX because, you know, it's got this like 11 mile print and yada, 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 yada. And I'm like, cool the closest one is seven and a half hours away <laughs> in indianapolis like i have at least two within three hours of me but if i wanted to go again uh, i couldn't because they're sold out like through august i like i just out of curiosity i was looking at ticket prices for the next day and uh yeah it was all sold out but that was also a lot of fun seeing well a lot of fun at first walking into the theater <laughs> to see oppenheimer and then coming out everyone was a little bit shell-shocked um but yeah, it, it was it was it was a good time doing the the double feature 
playing into the Barbenheimer thing, seeing people dressed up, seeing people wearing like the split down the middle shirts, yep. the, the Barbenheimer shirts. Yeah, it, it was a good time. What was it like? I When I left Barbie, I left on cloud nine. And when I left Oppenheimer, I left going, whoa. But like, I neither one I could imagine seeing. Like, it, like I know we've been joking for a while about how it's going to be the weirdest double feature. But like, mm. I legitimately don't know that I could have adjusted well. How, how was that like transition for you? Um, well, we actually had a 40 minute walk. We did two different theaters. So we were able to like shake ourselves off from Barbie and kind of hype ourselves up for Oppenheimer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we were kind of talking about how we enjoyed Barbie while we were walking over. And then about halfway through the walk, it shifts to like getting ready for Oppenheimer and just like, we're about to watch a movie on the biggest screen possible about the guy who created the atom bomb. Uh, and then I think we were, Actually, Shane was talking about how he needed a like a, like a chaser after watching Oppenheimer. But Foster and I were like, "Could you imagine going to see Barbie after watching Oppenheimer?" We were kind of happy with the order we did it in. So that that's kind of the feeling that it was. Nice. I um I took some friends to go see. We did go in IMAX, but it's just a like not true IMAX. You know, it's just right. the the screen and the sound system. You know, it's not the full um everything. But it was still really impressive to see. Um, the IMAX and um, uh, I took some friends to see it and man we were just like three of us were like that was awesome and one of a one of them one of us was like I kind of got bored halfway through I was like there's still an hour left I'm like you shut up and um, <laughs> and then we went and ate Portillo's hot dogs and nice. um, shamed him for the rest of the day so um, yeah so I had two separate but it was really interesting like literally like the theater we walked into and the IMAX is on the left and then they have like a other theaters to write like the right was like completely pinked out because like that first screening like the there's the like in the lights into the doorway are all pink and everything like literally one half of the theater is pink and one half of the theater was just like nothing <laughs> so like it just kind of felt like the theaters was playing into it which is which was fun as well but yeah the um the theaters were definitely playing into it i saw a thing that before barbenheimer took off the marketing strategy was going to be barbie summer for like the Warner Brothers marketing. Mm. So it's kind of funny how they just completely pivoted from that. Not completely, but to a certain extent because the movies almost marketed themselves through social media. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I definitely noticed a lot of people wearing pink. Um, and I definitely noticed a, a, a decent amount of people wearing like white button ups with suspenders and, <laughs> you know, like rimmed hats. Like what are those? What, what would you, what, what do you call like those a hats? fedora? I don't know. Is it a fedora? No, yeah. it's not a fedora, right? Because no, like like the ones That's that he wears, wears oh. just, like, just a random. I don't. Well, I thought a fedora had to be those like Sinatra era ones think, that you find uh, like for novelty. Yeah, I think it's like a type of fedora. I'm trying to picture the image know. now. All right, sure. Yeah, it's like got the. Yeah. Sure, it's not important either way. Pe- people were wearing old school hats and suspenders and whatnot, and it was uh, it was fun. My. My biggest takeaway was just like this was the first time that I felt like the movies were really back since COVID. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't something I've missed a lot is like laughing with a large group of people, and yeah. I had that in Barbie, and then just like complete silence because everyone's engrossed in a movie, and I had that during Oppenheimer. So yeah, I agree. Well, like I've been to like relatively full theaters and relatively full showings. Like I went to the Thursday night Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. I went to you know, Thursday night guardians of the galaxy. I went to, um, like, a, a, a pretty sold out of John wick Four opening weekend. Like, but 
yeah, it was, it, it never really felt like, like the movies were, were back. I mean, because like the theaters weren't terribly full, you know, like parking was really easy to find, um, in, in the lots, like it, I, I could walk in, get a, and still get a really good ticket, you know, 10 minutes before screen time, as opposed to like having to pre-order, you know, I still do right. because I really want to guarantee, but like, I haven't felt like it was necessary in a while. But like when I was looking at Oppenheimer tickets, I texted my friends. I was like, hey, you want to go? And uh, like 24 hours later, it was like, hey, those seats are no longer available. Like, mm-hmm. and this was like only like last Tuesday. And it was just like, yeah. So we had to go like five or six, five or six seats over and three or four more rows up. And there's still great seats. But um, but yeah, like this was the first but time. Not where great I was, enough. <laughs> this is the first time where. I just really felt like the theater's packed, you know, the workers are sitting there because obviously like everybody's trying to get popcorn and soda and they yeah. they can't quite keep up, you know, and, um, and and people are dressing up to movie. I, I don't remember the last time I see somebody wore a costume to a movie. Yeah, it reminds so, me of... It just felt... It's really, it's nostalgic. Yeah, it reminds me of like the old Marvel days, like 2010, 2011, when those movies were coming out and people would wear their Thor costumes and their Captain America and make uh these movies events and yeah yeah i uh i thought it was really cool well same robert you mentioned like seeing audience reaction but yeah like i can't remember the last time that i saw people reacting as much to you know my theater barbie which was two-thirds full but yeah Mm -hmm. like people laughing a lot a lot of times like there's a moment where like the movie is like there's there's a point in the movie where like there are old outfits being displayed on the screen and like stops and displays some info. And like, you could hear some people whispering, like I used to have that, you know, like it was just mm-hmm. like, it was kind of fun and infectious. And then kind of on the, ver- on the, on the Did flip side. Did you used side, to have those? Yeah, I did. Um, okay. for sure. um, but, but not I had for your Barbie, full, for yourself. I had the full size, like people. Yeah. Ones. yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so that, that fit me instead of my Barbie dolls. But mm-hmm. um, the, the, Actually, I saw, I texted my wife because she went to go see it Wednesday night and I had to work. So I went Friday morning while she was at work. And um, there, there's there's a sweater that Ken wears at the end of the movie that I told her, I really want that if they release it. And they're apparently releasing the Oh, the, yeah, yeah. The I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she's like, if I can find it for a decent price, I'll buy mm-hmm. it for you. I'm like, you're not going to find it for a decent price. Right. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, the... But, like, it was really fun to, like, like on the flip side for Oppenheimer, like, the point where the bomb is tested, and, like, you could just look over, and, like, half of the people in their seats are, like, leaning forward, and, like, white knuckles on the chairs, like, it was, it just felt like the movies were back. So. You could hear a pin drop in that scene, mm-hmm. like, because of how silent it gets for a minute. Yeah. Oh, it, I don't want to step on the review roundup conversation too much, but that's part of the experience of just, like, every, like... This is a huge theater. There were 600 people in there or whatever, and no one was making a sound. That was the last time I felt like that was during The Last Jedi. Um, mm. Yeah, but it was and it felt like a while and it, it felt like a while like since I had heard you know, like I just felt like people were happy to be back. It wasn't just, you know, people like me that, that go during weird hours and buy a ticket by themselves. And then like at one point, like we, like Barbie had started and it's got that like iconic opening scene and i i thought it worked so well and then i was like laughing i was like trying to stifle my laughs and i was like i'm i'm, I'm seated in a comedy like i don't need to try to stop to i don't need to. anyway so i was like stop that you just just laugh and it was a good time good life lesson right there just laugh 
Maybe live a little bit too. Love. Maybe love, yeah. Maybe all three at, at the same time. <laughs> live, laugh, love. Not cliche at all. I've never heard same that before. Yeah. No, yeah. I, you should, I should put it on yeah. merch. I should. You should put, put it on, it on like, merch and like put it in every Hobby Lobby and Michaels in the country. I think yeah, that white Maybe would boomers really and Gen Xers will put it in their kitchens. <laughs> yeah, I really hope uh, that momentum oh, carries boy. on into the rest of the year. Because we've got so many good movies coming out. And it's like... I mean, I, we're not going to have another Barbenheimer moment. Have that. Maybe people coming back and having that experience and seeing trailers for Killers of the Flower Moon or the Holdovers or whatever yeah. can can help them, yeah, come back. Dude, the they showed a trailer for the Holdovers before Oppenheimer, and my first thought was, I think that's the peak of what I'm going to experience in the cinema because I'm like I'm sure the movie's going to be good but I loved that trailer. I'd never seen it before. I didn't even know Oh, I'm so excited that, uh, for that movie. Alexander yeah. Payne had another movie coming out. Um Killers of the Flower Moon trailer too like man, I can't wait for that. Yeah. They also showed that um oh, what's that new movie from the guy that did Rogue Yeah, the creator, Gary Evans. Creator, um, creation. Yeah, creator. Like and I've seen that trailer a couple of times but it looked it just looked so much better in IMAX. Yeah. Um like on like obviously the the trailer wasn't formatted for IMAX, but it was just you know, on the big screen with the big booming sound. Like, hey. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah. Anyway, that was fun. Um, real quick, one more random question for you guys, and I want to preface this by saying, if you're listening to this and there might be like little ears around, <laughs> maybe put in your headphones mm-hmm. um, because I want to know, guys, when when and how did you learn the truth about Santa Claus? Oh, I was, I had no idea where you're going with that. And when you said, when and how did you, like, the this, L sound, I thought that was going a completely different yeah. direction. This is a family-friendly podcast. I, I was about to turn into the... Well, uh, the preface was not very yeah, I was about to turn into the I Think You Should Leave sketch, where, you know, we have permission to curse now, mm-hmm. like, and then I'm going to start cursing. <laughs> that, was, that was me for, like, five seconds. But you said it was allowed. Yeah. Um, wow, that, that is quite a question. I'd have to think about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, All right, I'll answer. I my parents never told me that Santa Claus was a thing. Like I knew about Santa as like a Christmas um, idea, and I saw him in the Christmas movies and all everything. But my parents were just like, "Yeah, these Christmas presents are from us and family and friends." <laughs> it's just like, "All right, cool." And I had to keep the secret from other kids. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I um I was the youngest and I think it was one of those that like b- by the by the earliest memory I have like I, I I think like my parents didn't really go all out I mean they went you know they wrote Santa went out but like you know they left they left milk and cookies out and like like they did their best but like I I thought it was pretty easy to see through it because like it just doesn't make any logical sense. Um, oh, you were one of those kids who was smarter than everyone. No, no, I've always been dumber really? than everybody else. But um, I know there's no Santa. This doesn't make any sense. Like, like I've also like I don't know like again like I grew up just watching a ton of movies um, and you know a lot a lot of them have the you know explaining Santa's not real to a child joke or you know um, I mean even the Santa Claus is like it's trying to be like a oh look it's Santa Claus but it's like the the whole point is anyway um, you said this seems like fiction to me these were supposed to be documentaries. <laughs> You know, and I had older siblings, and I'm sure, like, they had figured it out. Yeah, I was, I was my oldest sister is five years older than, no, 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 seven years older than me. So, like, that's a pretty big time jump, you know. Mm-hmm. It, let's say I was five. Um, she'd have been 12, like, and you know how older siblings are. 
So see, I'm I'm the yeah, oldest. I was so. that kid. I was the the one that was smarter than everyone else, and I I feel like I figured it out. Okay. At a, I don't know. I, maybe ten, eleven years old. Maybe maybe earlier. Nine. Um, but my parents went to like a lot of lengths to convince us that it was true. Like I swear to God, one year my dad left like half of a Santa sleeve in our front door just to be like, "Oh my gosh, he was oh. here." He would <laughs> okay. go outside and like bang on the roof and. Oh, it's the reindeer. Oh, my God. And, yeah, so they, they were cool. committed to the bit. And they would, I'm pretty sure my mom wrote, like, from Santa on presents until I was 18. So, yeah, we, <laughs> I figured it out fairly young. But I, I don't think I was really vocal about it either. I was just like, yeah, Santa, he's totally real. Not, but, and I had a younger, I. The people I respect the most are those who are committed to the oh, bit. Yes, and. Yes, and. My, my whole life is a bit. Uh, and I have a younger sister too, um, so I kind of kept it up for her. She, I don't, I don't know when she figured it out. I'm sure we had that conversation at some point, and maybe she came to me like, yeah. "Does this make sense?" And I'm like, "Does it? Think about it." So <laughs> you did your best, Humphrey Bogart. Does it? Mm. <laughs> um. <laughs> Let's get back into talking about some movies. Uh, we actually are going to change the format of the show here for just a little bit. I said we'll talk about the coming attractions later. We're going to talk about the coming attractions briefly. Um, but essentially, it all boils down to as long as the writers and actors are striking, uh, we're going to just going to kind of do away with the coming attractions. They'll come back um, at some point you know, whenever the strikes are resolved. But it feels like um, it feels like none of this is really intended. Like like from from all the guidelines, it sounds like the um, none of, none of the things that they're suggesting really affect um, small podcasts like this one, um, especially like non like celebrity ran podcasts um, and definitely ones without paid promotion. Um, like it doesn't really feel like anything that we have been doing has been <laughs> affecting the strike, but it just. It feels like the with the actors not allowed to promote the films um, under the strike violations, it really feels weird that we would. So um, for the time being, we're gonna just put away with the coming attractions. Um, it's, and the other the other thing too is just a logistics thing, just with movies inevitably going to be pushed back um, because the actors are not allowed to promote them. You know, like uh, like I know Robert is just like waking up every morning scared that today's the day that Dune gets pushed to twenty twenty four. Um, well, I sure, I sure which, hope like, look, I'm excited for the movie too. So, Same. um, I, I, you know, I think we all at Civ Pop wish that it would all just be resolved, um, in a relatively fit, um, quick manner that doesn't screw over the writers and actors. So, um, just until, uh, until the strike is resolved, we're just going to be, um, uh, moving past the coming attractions. We'll say something, I'll say something real quick. Just say, "Hey, strike's still going on, so no coming attractions." Um, but I, it's not something that I'm looking to do away with because I think it is really nice. Like a lot of times, like the amount of like the amount of times that we're sitting here um, and be like, "I didn't even know this movie was coming out," and it's three days from release or whatever. And uh, it's, so I think it is a fun exchange there. Or a lot of times we're like, "Hey, this little movie," you know. Like I remember like when Palm Springs came out because that was like right when the thing, right when. Uh, the podcast started we were like hey this movie looks incredible everybody should go check it out this weekend it wound up being you know arguably the best film of the year but um anyway um all that being said i think we can move on i don't think there's anything more to be said about that um uh, before we get into the sif topic a quick chance to promote some stuff 
Uh, where do you want to send people so they can find you and chat more about movies with you? Jacob, let's start with you. Uh, man, I should have prepared for that. Uh, J.H. Kinman on Letterboxd is where I'm posting uh, what I'm watching and stuff. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jacob underscore Kinman, um, where I'm posting uh, all the latest stuff from Sifpop. Nice. And Robert? You can find me at Robert's Thoughts on Letterboxd. Um, you could also find me on Truth Social if you want. No. Uh, yeah, just go to Letterboxd. Um, and a uh, quick reminder, patreon.com slash That's where you will he- you can hear thoughts from me about new release movies and TV shows. So I have Barbie and Oppenheimer stuff up on Patreon that you can go check out uh, over there, as well as some other fun perks. Let's get into the SIF topic. We're talking about Good Morning Vietnam. We had this paired up against Born on the Fourth of July, and in a two-to-one vote, it... Uh, two-to-one ratio vote there wasn't three total votes um good morning vietnam wound up beating it out um this is a 1987 movie you can catch it streaming on what was it um mgm MGM plus Plus. which is a streaming service that definitely exists (laughs) i was just about to make a similar joke and now has my credit card information for my free trial yeah well what free trial doesn't have your credit card information it's true um, in 1965, an unorthodox and irreverent DJ named Adrian Cronauer begins to shake things up when he's assigned to the U.S. Armed Services Radio Station in Vietnam. Uh, this has a good amount of accolades working towards it. It's, I think as we were discussing, it's not necessarily like what we, in, you know, started off the GOATs as being. Um, but I think it's still a high, you know, falls in the category of a highly regarded movie that came out before we were born. And therefore it falls in this category, um, of being eligible. Plus you guys still voted for it. Nobody said, Hey, that doesn't fit. And you know what? My podcast. So, uh, for now, for now, I'm uh, coming after the job. Okay. Um, <laughs> 7.3 on IMDb, 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, 3.7 on Letterboxd. I mean, those are pretty comparable numbers to a lot of movies we've talked about. Uh, this was nominated for the... You skipped over a significant number that kind of supports your earlier point that it might not be a GOAT. What? The the 56 on Metacritic. Oh, that's... No, that's outdated. Oh, I'm looking at the notes, I guess. I'm yeah, wrong. no, I, I, um, I did not update the notes. So this is all at the top of my head and tabs I have pulled up. Um, I see. I apologize. So, yeah, no, the the that would have been from a recent. I, I'm not even sure. Um, but yeah, it is, there's no there was no Metacritic score. I don't typically like search it out if it comes up on a Google search. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in their like thing under it where it's like here's scores. Anyway, um, uh, so nominated for uh, an Oscar for best lead a- best actor in a lead role, Robin Williams. Uh, nominated for two BAFTA awards, which would be Best Actor, Robin Williams, and Best Sound. Uh, this was uh, nominated for a Grammy, Best Comedy Recorded. Uh, actually, one Grammy, um, Best Comedy Recording. Um, that makes sense. I forget that movies can do Grammys other than soundtracks. Um, and uh, also had a couple other nominations and some things. Um, most notably, I think, would be included in 2000s. In 2000, it was including AFI's um, 100 Years, 100 Laughs. It was number 100, so barely scraping in, but um, that counts. So, um, interesting. There was apparently a canceled sequel. In 1992, Mark Frost wrote a screenplay, Good Morning Chicago. It would have featured Williams reprising his role as Cronauer as a journalist during the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. It was eventually scrapped due to disagreements between Williams, Levinson, and Disney over the film's direction. 
Um, in case you were wondering. Good morning, Vietnam. Uh, what was your history with this movie? And um, if you don't have any history, then why were you excited to watch it? I'll kick us off because um, I have seen this movie before once about five years ago. Although I think this is one that like my older brother would watch like at home uh, when I was young and doing something else. Um, so, or maybe my dad would watch it. I don't know. Either way, this is one that was like, familiar to my household i just didn't see it myself until about five years ago and um remembered enjoying it and um but i think it was also one of those that like i might have been watching like as i was unpacking my apartment so or like doing something um else and so it's one of those that pretty quickly left my brain i was like i should watch that again soon so uh here we are five years later it is apparently soon uh robert what's your um history and i know i'm pretty sure you haven't seen it so like yeah had you heard about it and all that good stuff yeah i was interested in watching it because of the robin williams performance you said he got nominated for it right so uh any sort of notable robin williams performance is worth watching in my mind so yeah cool uh jacob what's your history with uh, this one? i had heard of this before and knew it as like one of the older robin williams movies and i uh, hadn't seen it until Sometime last year, I believe. It was on HBO Max at one point before they switched over to Max. And I think that's where I watched it. It was on HBO Max as, like, as recently as a month ago. And that's where I thought I was going to watch it. Oh, okay. So it, it did make the transition to Max. Uh, yeah. And then um, I had a great time rewatching it this time. Uh, didn't spring for the MGM Plus, unfortunately. I did, did rent it from the YouTube. <laughs> My question with that is if Amazon owns MGM... Like maybe there's a licensing thing, but why, yeah, why just not just Prime? Prime? I don't, I don't get that. But um, no idea. My yeah, money. Right. Somebody's getting paid. Although I don't know who's paying for MGM Plus. I think it's just people starting free trials <laughs> to watch one movie and then canceling. Yeah, I, I do not know what the uh, appeal is. And of it's that like is. three people. Do they have the Bond movies on there? Maybe is that would that be? No, the they, bombs are all Prime. on Prime. The MGM app. I was looking through it because I got the free trial. It is like surprisingly scant it's like a couple hundred movies and a lot of them are just randomly obscure mm. yeah that's a weird one uh dr no is on max so i think i think actually i think max has a good amount of the oh, catalog. Sure. yeah i didn't know if they made it exclusive after yeah after that deal but um uh i think they did for a little bit but that franchise has kind of always bounced around sure i mean there's like 30 of them right uh 24 yeah 25 25 I think. Uh, let's go in reverse order. Did you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? Jacob? Uh, I'm going to say high side, I liked it. Thanks. Uh, Robert, where did you land? I thought it was okay. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go just right where Jacob is. High side, I liked it. Um, good amount there for me to enjoy. Nothing to quite bring it into love it. But um, let's get into it. Robert, um, why is this the worst movie you've seen all year? <laughs> um. So much worse than The Devil Conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Um, Hold on. Did you actually watch that movie? It's the worst movie I've seen this year. I don't know. It, oh, yeah. I was there opening weekend. Oh, my God. Dude, <laughs> I saw the trailer the for that, and I'm like, what in the hell are we doing? What is this? It just popped up on Hulu one day. Well, there's I'm, a lot of stuff in the hell that they were doing in that. <laughs> that I, I, I could, I, sorry. Um, I, I just had to say that. I, I commend you for that. commend you, I mean. I thought it could have been, like, one of those... Hey, this is a ridiculous premise. It's bad, but it has some silly, fun stuff. But nope, it couldn't even do that. Um, but for Good Morning Vietnam, uh, yeah, I 
lost my train of thought. Why, um, why do you land on just okay? Right, right. I didn't find there to be much to it. You know, I like Robin Williams, obviously. I like him as the genie and I like him as himself. But it almost seems like he's just doing his own thing in this. Mm-hmm, um, very much. Like, he literally sits down and does Robin Williams bits at the microphones and then has some uh, emotional scenes, but only emotional in, like, a comedy level. You know, it's not anything what he does in, like, um, Goodwill Hunting or Awakenings or anything like that. Sure. Um, and beyond that, it's just, I don't know, kind of light. It's just these these other... The, the, the men in the military are getting mad at him for being too funny, except for the couple people who like him... Um, and then beyond that, it's just, they tack on the plot line of him being in love with the girl who he confused with two other girls at first, and then is all of a sudden completely in love with, uh, if the movie was better, that sort of thing doesn't always bother me where I could just kind of hand wave little weird conveniences. Um, but it seemed more just icky, (laughs) you know, uh, especially since they don't speak the same language and it's just like a weird um, a weird plot device for him to to form relationships with the Vietnamese people. Um, though this is based on a true story, isn't it? Yeah, and I don't know how much this is where like my ignorance is going to come in because it's based on a true story, but also Robin Williams did so much ad libbing and the and the screenplay like did enough dramatic turns to get to where it needed to go to tell the narrative that like. I think Cronauer himself had said that maybe only 45% of the movie is accurate. So like, but at least there was a real person, you know, that was a radio broadcaster in Vietnam that, that officials did not like because of his rock and roll attitude. It's even if it is real though, like it's a similar argument to, to the, I'm not going to, I don't want to bring this up too much, but like the flash where they're like, Oh, the CGI looks bad on purpose. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't mean it's like a good choice for the movie. It's like, just because it happened in real life doesn't mean it works in the movie. Um, yeah. If that's how he did find this woman. Um, so a lot of it just seems like underdeveloped uh, and thin, just not super deep. It kind of brings in the whole Vietnam thing towards the end, but it's not really hammered home too much. I'm inclined to agree with most of what you said. Uh, I think that the first half of this movie is in loved it for me. And then the second half is in like a just okay for me. I think the movie really fumbles whenever Crowdower gets fired, I think, or not fired, suspended. I think the movie just really starts to crumble, but um, yeah. And and the whole, yeah, the whole like meeting the meeting the girl. And it's also like Robin Williams wasn't old at the time. Uh, This is 1987. I don't know how old he would have been, but he's not like super old. But I know I just always think of him as a little bit older. He's still like Uh, in his mid 30s, uh, and so it felt a little. I think. Yeah, Yeah. like he's he's not like super young, but he's not super old. And I get the impression that the girl is like 18, 19, or whatever. I don't know though, just because she's taking English classes. I wasn't worried about the age gap thing. No, it was just like like even the recent West Side Story. I just don't like the love at first sight thing or someone falls in love at first sight thing. It just never really works for me. Well, especially um, when it's love at first sight, but only from one way. Like, right, exactly. it's, you know, she tells him no, like, and then the brother's like, Hey buddy, like, you know, like mm-hmm. it's yeah. And, and it's all relatively shallow, but um, I don't, if it wasn't Robin Williams, it would come off as really creepy. I'll say that, especially that first interaction. I think it still does. <laughs> It's yeah. kind of creepy with Robin Williams, yeah, sure. But, I mean, just picture 
anybody else doing that, like, from that era. Um, it's literally, like, yeah. the first thing he yeah. says when he gets off the plane. I, I like, just... I've been in Creek for six months. I need, mm-hmm. I need a woman. Any woman. Yeah. So, anyway, I, I'm, I just... I'm more so mean to say, like, I, I incline, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you on all that you said, Robert. Like, it's, it's relatively shallow, and especially that relationship is really shallow. I think, um, did because I'd seen this movie before. I think I had, I didn't remember it until the bombing, but I think I had remembered. Oh, Teddy is responsible at least in part for the bombing, or at least knowing about the bomb. Did you guys, like Robert, did you see that coming? No. Did it matter? Like, did it matter that they try to pull a twist? Um, yeah, I mean, if you didn't see it coming, did it, like, does it matter that it comes off as a twist or whether or not Teddy has anything to do with it? Not Teddy. Is it his uh, name, Tron? The brother. I think it's Tron. Like, Thon? Th- like that. It, um, I mean, I see where it's coming from and uh, its purpose because it's trying to, like, make the Robin Williams character consider what's going on with the Vietnamese people a little bit more. And uh, it gets that speech where he's like, uh, where the brother is talking about how the Americans are coming in and killing their people and all that kind of stuff. That's the only time it really leans into the whole politics of the Vietnam war, which is a little bit interesting too, because. And it's relatively shadow shallow for most movies made about, you know, Vietnam. Like, (laughs) no, exactly. You think of Vietnam uh, war movies, you think of apocalypse. Now you think of deer hunter, you know, and it's just like, I think a platoon, but right. It's you think of all of this stuff that shows the absolute horrors, the absolute waste. And meanwhile, it's just like Robin Williams is sad. They won't let him be silly. (laughs) You know, that's, I mean, it was kind of refreshing that the movie didn't really feel like, you know, like, like, like I was thinking about halfway through this movie. I'm like, is there any movie out there? Is there any Hollywood movie out there that was like, yeah, the Vietnam War was a good idea. Like, that's the message of the movie. <laughs> like, right. Vietnam conflict, sorry. Oh. Um, but, like, I was like, there's certainly some where it can highlight heroes. Like, I think, like, We Were Soldiers is about as close as it gets. But that's just highlighting a battle. But, again, like, the he says at the end, he's like, we won the battle, but we're not going to win this war. Like, it's, it's still a relatively, like down movie it's still anyway um but either way it's not as ham-fisted as most other vietnam movies you know like platoon and um, i did like full metal the, ja- well full metal jacket that, that's vietnam um, i think that's vietnam or it, come, it came out in the 80s yeah. um i did like that it was a different angle on it um sure. and if if it wasn't trying to you know do the same things all these other movies we were talking about that'd be fine but then it tries to just like sneak it in towards the end with like 15, 20 it, minutes left. And it's like, if the scene, right, you don't get it just because it's the Vietnam war and we are already against it. Like you have to do the work in the movie for it to, for it to work. You know what I mean? Right. Well, in the scene that you were talking about where he's like explaining, you know, uh, why America doesn't belong in it, you know, the, the kid or whatever, you know, where he's explaining where he's coming from by blowing up the cafe. Like, um, it, it just feels so disjointed with the rest of the movie. Um, it, it, it not, not in a good, like it's, it feels like you could have gotten there in other ways or, you know, it, it, yeah. With, with Adrian himself already. Like, I think the more compelling uh, movie is just him wrestling with the censorship. Cause like, as soon as he gets blocked that first time and then suspended, like that's it. Like, but I think the more compelling argument is him. No, he's still able to read all the files, but he's not able to share any of it. Obviously again, based off of true story, I don't know how much of it is real or not. But like, I think, I think the more interesting movie, at least more, more interesting conflict, I would say is the, is him seeing the things and, 
and and instead of him being allowed to say Johnson's not a fan of the or Johnson's not um not uh confident in the war so they're sending like 500,000 more troops over like instead of instead of him being able to share that he has to share a boring weather report you know um and then so so when the movie no longer becomes about the conflict there and then the conflict of also just like him trying to just make these troops laugh you know instead when it once he gets suspended then the movie just becomes different it just doesn't really it, it's not as compelling to me it's not as interesting it's not as engaging it, and then you get the scene um like where where he's down he's like i'm gonna leave and then he has to like do essentially a live broadcast to the traffic jam like that was really good like that kind of I thought, I'm like, oh, we're going to get back on pace here, and then we don't. So I feel like the whole third act just isn't written well in general. Yeah, it's just like you shoehorn that twist in there, which they could have set up a little bit or, I don't know, given us some kind of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. And it just seems really sudden. Um, but I feel like the drama of the war... But again, I don't really know that the twist matters. Maybe, yeah, like, maybe. Other than it's the inciting incident that gets him kicked out, but, you know, you could have had other reasons for him to get kicked out no definitely so i don't know if that's part's true or not from what i read the only part of all of that that was true was he was in a, involved in a bombing and almost died and wanted to report it then it got censored but he didn't actually report it hmm. like I, there was a quote from the real Cronauer that i read that said like if i did half the things that the Cronauer in this movie did i would still be in leavenworth <laughs> you know like the man got hmm. honorably discharged he only left vietnam because his uh, contract there expired. So, um, sure. Oh, I didn't know that. That is. Yeah. So, so then the whole him knowing Tuan. Oh no, Tuan doesn't didn't matter. exist. Like, that's, that's... didn't exist. There probably wasn't a Force Whitaker. I mean, there maybe so, like, there was, but there wasn't like um, that specific person in his life. I don't know. I think if you look at this movie as a Robin Williams vehicle, maybe that's exactly what it is, and I can appreciate it as that, but. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with right. Aaron. Um, it's like, if you take the average of the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie, not bad. But yeah, that third act is kind of a mess. I do like to take movies on like their own terms. So I'm not saying sure. this is bad because it's not doing X, Y, and Z that a Vietnam War movie should do. But it's when I'm just sitting there watching a Robin Williams stand-up routine about people in Vietnam, you know, um, and then it just turns into... Hey, did you know the Vietnam War was bad and, and and there was a lot of injustice? I'm just like, well, yeah, but you're not really doing anything but having one speech and one explosion to show that. So I'm just like, eh, this is overall it's fine because you know Robin Williams is Robin Williams. He's as electric a performer as we've ever seen. But at the same time, everything around him is just okay. Though yeah. you did you brought up Forrest Whitaker and I thought he was actually my favorite part of the movie. Oh, he's so great. Yeah, he's great. Uh, yeah. He he gives a great performance. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think, I think Jacob, I think you put it perfectly where it's like, if you look at this movie, like, and and I think this is what the movie is. If you look at, at it as a Robin Williams vehicle, I think like it, if this movie has any other person in that role, I just it, don't think it it's as memorable, work. especially because like, it's like, and from my understanding is he did all of the ad libbing every mm-hmm. time he's on the radio. It's just, they, they put him in a room and said, yeah. have fun. Be Robin Williams, um, please. And then that's why it seems like Robin Williams. Yeah. play. Ro- yeah, exactly. Right. Right. And so that's you you put uh, there's plenty of other performers that could have done it well. But I think I think Williams is probably the only reason we're talking about this movie 
you know, still here in 2023. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's also not to say that, yeah, Force, Force Whitaker was, was, uh, you know, was, was a really delightful part in it. Um, you know, uh, especially, um, it just it's even some of the other people, um, like some of the other like crew that you could see, like the the guy that's in the booth. Um, I don't remember. Oh, uh, Robert. He's always uh, laughing. Oh, he's yeah. He's a. Uh, you're talking about Marty. The no, I meant the character's name. Yeah. I'm talking about. Well, there's Marty, Eddie, uh, and no, not Marty. Um, maybe Phil. Like he doesn't have any lines. He's just oh the sits laughing in the guy? booth and turns them yeah, on. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like even the way that he like plays up, you know, you could kind of see him cheer up. I didn't, I didn't like the guy. Maybe Robert Wool's character Marty. I don't know if it's like the way it's written or if it's just him, but he just annoyed me every time he was on. Which one was he? The, I, I don't keep names in my mind from he's the movies one I see for the first time. So Mar- uh, Robert Wool's played Marty. Yeah, he always. Oh, yeah, oh, he was the one okay. that like would lead him in. But it, he seemed like that guy that. Like if you go to a comedy with a friend or you watch a comedy at a friend's house and then every time that the movie makes a joke, like he just repeats it and laughs like right <laughs> after, like it just, you just kind of felt like that. And that was kind of came off. Um, I don't know if it's the way the character's yeah. written. I don't, I don't know if he's supposed to be annoying or endearing. I just, he was probably my least favorite character. Um, I think he's supposed to be kind of hacky. Yeah. Like he's written as um, almost a morning zoo guy, you know, and his, that actor's personality, I think, brought that out really well. But um, yeah, it's almost like a counterbalance well, to see what that. Robin Williams is doing, you know? Sure. Right, you see that in his introduction where he's like, do something funny. He's like, people tell me I'm funny all the time. And it's just like, I know I'm the funny, funniest person in the room. And it's like, you know that he's not very, he's not as funny as he thinks that he is. and He's just probably a little bit annoying to the people around him. And I think that works into his performance. But I did like the guy who wanted to, like the guy who hated Robin Williams the most and yeah. who uh, wanted to play um, dis- No, what did Polka. he want to play? Polka, thank you. I was thinking yeah, yeah, yeah. I was mixing up words. It was like some of his line readings where he's like, sir, I know in my heart, I'm, I know I'm funny. And it's just like that sort of thing is really funny to me. Or uh, what about the silent masses who <laughs> like my humor? <laughs> <Right>. That was <laughs> the silent majority. Yeah. It was really yeah. funny. And, and when they're like begging him, like, don't go on, Ray. Please don't <laughs> like, do you're this. You're not funny. This isn't a joke. Uh-huh. Please don't. And then he, you know, and he, and he does, and he does it. And he does the terrible, you know, French yeah. person <laughs> counterpart to himself. And he pulls out the ho- the honk, high cord and he starts honking. And it's like, yeah, he's clearly, he thinks he's the funniest person in the world. And he's, yeah, <laughs> that, that line you brought up is that perfect. What about the silent majority? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and he yeah, also is a, um, like his first introduction is that is humor. I recognize that. <laughs> like, oh, great! The humor understander has logged on. <laughs> yeah, I think no, I think he played that really well. The, the I don't know if it's partly physical appearance, but like I was just the whole too. time I was thinking if if this movie was made today, um, the guy that plays the dean on Community would for sure be cast in that role. Oh, um, I can see that. What's his? I uh, like. I don't uh, know what he thought of Barbenheimer. <laughs> well that i feel like he probably went all out with a costume jim rash, rash that's, yeah. yeah that's gonna be hard to play too because bruno kirby is actually funny you know he he puts in a lot of hilarious performances so it's like him playing the straight man i think almost makes it even more funny because we've seen him in a lot mm-hmm. of comedic uh roles but um yeah and of course jt walsh uh being the yeah. 
uh, stereotypical prick. Like he's so good at that. Mm-hmm. He could. He's. He might be like top five, just total buttholes <laughs> in movie history. You know what I mean? Not. Not even that character, yeah. but he's just played like he's, he's good. good at playing that almost right. like almost like a Shooter McGavin kind of thing, but maybe even more terrible. But that also comes off as like kind of rote, I... kind of st- like kind of trite. Sure. Yeah, I was just looking through. Uh, I think there's there's enough about this movie that like there are some really fun moments that um, like happen, and I'm curious whether they were scripted or whether Robin Williams like like maybe my favorite moment in the whole movie was where like he's being um, uh, interrogated by the staff sergeant, not interrogated. He's being disciplined by the reprimanded by the staff sergeant, and he says like. Yeah, he calls him sir, and he's like, you know, do you see a sir in here? What is three up and three down? And he's like, like it was <laughs> yeah. just like that was like that like was just this movie is just full of little quips, and it's one of those where like the second that you like start to like settle down, like there's just a little <laughs> moment. Um, you know, even even at the end there, you know that line where he says like you're in more dire need of a blowjob than any <laughs> other white man in history. <laughs> like it's just like it. This movie is just consistently funny throughout. It's not just when he's on the radio. There's even that moment. Um, uh, I thought you were referencing it earlier, Robert. No, but it's with uh, it's with um, it's with the disc jockey before him, and he's like, "Hey, I'm a really big fan of you. You know, say something funny." It's like, uh, uh, like he I'll, cracks up. Yeah, he says something so super plain. I, I can't remember what it I doubt was. it. Like, oh, like, yeah, Marty asks him, "Like, mm, can you say yeah. something funny?" And then just straight off, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I doubt it. Yeah. See, it's just this movie is just full of like little quips that are fun. But yeah, you're right. Like it's 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 fun, but overall, it's it's kind of clunky, and a lot of the story doesn't story movements don't really work as well. And there's definitely that tagged on. Oh, that's like you're saying, like, well, we're in Vietnam, so we have to say Vietnam was bad, and like, you know, I do find it all funny. Like I'm laughing at all that stuff now, and I laughed at it in the movie. But at the same time, it was kind of an annoyed laughter because I'm just. For some reason, it bugged me that it was literally just Robin Williams doing bits the whole movie. And it's like I can pull up any one of his straight comedies or pull up a stand up routine of his and get the same thing. But like, I'm not I don't know. It just seemed like I was missing something with the overall movie as to why he had to be doing his whole shtick in this context um, for something other than laughs, especially when it really is trying to say something, but it doesn't really land it because of everything that I was saying. Sure. I think this is also one of those where um, like you're right. Like I I would rather throw on a completely serious Robin Williams movie, like Goodwill hunting or a completely funny one. You know Uh, this, this almost feels like him wanting to take that leap. I'm looking at his filmography to now just to kind of see if this is the first time he really, because awakenings was after this dead poets was two years after this. Um, Like, I don't know if maybe like th- this almost feels like a screen test for like he's up for the role of Dead Poet Society, but they just want to see if he can, you know, if he if he's capable of doing dramedy, dra- sure. drama as well or something like this feels like a good stepping stone, but it doesn't really it doesn't really get to like the tone of the movie doesn't really get either. Yeah. Right? And yeah, it just kind of feels it feels like two very different movies, neither of them working terribly well. And um, yeah, like like a. Uh, this feels like, you know, you put it on the celebration of career highlight reel, but you put like just just a little bit of it. You you have just saying good morning, Vietnam. And then that's that's so it. It's like, become so iconic because of that. You know, it's right. It's one of his first mentioned movies. If you think of Robin Williams, when something like 
don't know, Aladdin is a lot funnier or, uh, or a lot better overall as a movie or uh, Mrs. Doubtfire or something like that. I was going to mention Aladdin because so. he basically does the same thing in that, right? Like a lot of that stuff is yeah, ad-libbed, yeah. but it's got a better movie around it all around. A better it, character, you might even say. And, um, and it fits true. the consistent tone, too. Yeah, exactly. That movie... Sure is you, just as goofy as what Robin Williams is doing. And it's a cartoon, so you can, you know, animating to that is, uh, just makes it even better. But um, I feel like this is the first mm-hmm. movie in his filmography where he kind of got to be himself, you know, because we, we see this a lot through his career, obviously, but, like, everything before that, I mean, like, obviously playing Popeye is going to limit him, limit, limit the Robin Williams. I don't know if you guys have seen World According to Garb. Right. He's not really doing a Robin no. Williams thing in there. He's playing like a, this sort of more earnest character. That movie is weird, but I kind of enjoyed it. Um, and then I'm probably missing some, but yeah, like I think it's despite the movie's flaws, him being himself is always going to be entertaining. Yeah, no, this is his right. first like box office, like not box office, like film hit. I mean, he had sure he did Popeye, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, like, Popeye was. A- I haven't seen it. I don't know that there's. I don't know that I'm missing out on anything, but you know, he, he had, he had done Mork and Mindy before that. But again, like, I don't know, like if you're saying this is the first time he really got to be himself, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That, that even that Mork and Mindy, track, even with Mork he's and Mindy, doing the ad lib thing, but he, it's as a space alien, not a human, you know, not as the, right. just a guy or mm-hmm. he even, even puts on a voice for Mork, obviously. But um, yeah, I think it, I'm, I'm curious what you guys thought, like as, as people in, you know, none of us were alive during the Vietnam conflict or even like when this movie came out. So like, did, did the movie hold up? Like, did the, like, I, I felt like there was certain times where like the jokes kind of felt timeless. And then there were certain times where the joke felt very era specific because this was made not long after Vietnam. Um, yeah. 1980, well, 87. So 10, 10 years enough that people, I think people that, you know, if, if, if if this was 1987 right now when we were all our ages, I think we would maybe get a lot more. I don't like some of it kind of feels lost and some of it still feels time. Like, did, did you guys feel lost at any particular like Not they're really. specifically referencing a person or an event or whatever? I think event. some of the humor doesn't age that well. So like that. That's the only thing I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. At one point, Robin Williams does a gay voice, a black voice and a deaf voice. Yeah. All of which nowadays are yeah. not okay for a white person to do. Or a non-gay person or a non-deaf person. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... So that stuck out to me. Yeah, and the, and the whole um, the whole, the whole bar owner and his weird pedophile obsession with little... Like, that all felt icky to me. It's supposed to, but, like, even ickier than they wanted me to feel, you know? Like, that guy's a little right. creepy, too. Um, but, yeah, I just didn't know, like, because there's so much... That is like Vietnam specific, and you know, sometimes like I don't know, it just seems, it seems like sometimes there was references that almost felt like it didn't hold up so well. But um, nothing like that stood out to me, and maybe that means it really went over my head. Not just like I noticed it was going over my head, but like it went over my head so much. But I, I didn't really notice anything. I was like, I'm not getting what this reference is. It was just the stuff that didn't age well. But even that, I'm just like. I'm watching a comedy from the eighties. I know there's going to be some stuff that doesn't age well. I don't yeah. necessarily hold it against the movie, but just, you know, no, it's definitely not a knock on the movie. Um, it, it was, it was an observation I had. Uh, it, it was an observation that I was curious just to kind of see as will will this transcend another generation um, sure. or 
Not, maybe not tragic, but yeah. Um, I think we can probably give our closing remarks. Probably. Um, if uh, is this movie a goat? And that definition is: if you are the curator of the Criterion Collection, are you adding this movie? Whatever criteria you would like to use. Um, Jacob, you're our guest. Would you would you consider this movie if you're curating the I don't Criterion think so. Collection? I mean. Robin Williams is iconic, and it's a big part of his legacy, but, I mean, I can think of at least two other Barry Levin- Levinson movies that deserve it before this, and then, mm-hmm. um, nah, I would say no. Uh, Robert? Yeah, this is the first pretty easy no that I've had in a while. I, yeah, have no reason to add it in there. Like I said, I can get the the uh, Robin Williams doing Robin Williams from better places, and I could certainly get... Vietnam movie from many other better places. I'm uh, going to agree with you here going uh, with a no for me as well. Um, not like an emphatic no, but um, again, there's, there's just enough that doesn't quite work. Um, again, if, if we're putting together a clip show of Robin Williams career, I would for sure include certain parts of it. Probably only the comedy, not necessarily any of the dramatic moments. Um, not to say he's bad, but when you have performances like Awakenings and Goodwill Hunting and Dead Boat Society, you know. No, you hate Robin Williams. I get it. He's a terrible yeah, actor. Um, Stick to stand up, buddy. Yeah. You got no shot. Got no future. <laughs> yeah. Robert, uh, where did you wind up putting this on your Goats Rinks list? Way down at 45, uh, just uh, above White you, Christmas. And you have 51? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty far down. Obviously not quite. I liked the movie a bit more than you. I'm at 38 out of 52. Um, you know, that puts it, you know, a dozen movies, but, um, could probably do some reshuffling. Um, that's where my gut said to go. So, which is, which is, uh, which is a decrease on when I initially rated the movie. Cause I originally, like when I initially watched it, I gave it a four out of five on letterboxd and I bumped it down to a three and a half. Um, so, um, which I think is still fair. Um, sure. Kind of in that range. So, um, if you want to be wrong, it's fair. <laughs> you're you're half a star off. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's still wrong. Um, I'm right. Everyone else is wrong. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, how it goes. So yeah. So it's and again, like just because something is pretty far down the list, like it, it, again, the 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 point of this is that we're supposed to be watching some of the best movies of all time. So for it to be even on the list, yeah, should we say watched something. Good Morning Vietnam. Yep. <laughs> On the next goats, uh, Robert and I are going to be talking about the Before trilogy. Uh, Jake will be joining us. So, Robert, here's your warning: you got to watch three movies. Oh, I know. Um, that's it's easier for me because I like th- know I like them. Three three movies that you've seen before that you adore that um, in that its are- total runtime probably still about the same as Amadeus. I know because so. <laughs> they're each only like an hour and a half. Like they're yeah. pretty short. Yeah, yeah. So that's nice. I don't um, know if any of them even get to an hour forty. Maybe. Isn't that's Jake? Yeah, B, I was by about to way. say. I wish I was that Jake. I love this. Yeah. I could talk about Lick later for hours. Uh, Is it before midnight, like two ish. I thought it was longer. Before, let me look it up. If not, then anyway, they, uh, before they get a lot of brutality in ninety minutes. If, if not, and <laughs> oh yeah, no, before midnight is the oh, it's an hour forty nine. You're right. Um, that's the happiest ending I've ever seen in a movie. Let's throw Aaron <laughs> off. Give him two different, two different things, so he doesn't know what to expect. Before sunrise is one forty-five. I guess I was uh, totally wrong. I'm sorry. I thought they were all like, super short. Yeah, sunset's an hour twenty. An hour sunset's 20? an hour and twenty. Yeah, okay. so that's gonna hmm. like 
yeah, yeah. that's going to average out to about 90 minutes. That just piece, proves so. that love is fleeting. Uh, 90 or 100 rupees. Either way. Uh, only lasts for Compared to most minutes. of the times the movies we watch are, are two to two and a half hours with the occasional Amadeus thrown in there for Great Escape. So, um, Aaron, yeah. you better have good opinions on these movies. Just saying. <laughs> cool. I'm, I'm, I'm bracing myself now. <laughs> I'm going to hate them just because you said that. Uh, no, honestly, like these, this has been like one of those that it's like, I, I know I've needed to get around to it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know that anybody doesn't love these movies. Um, but they're also like not super mainstream. So like, it's not like there's a universal adoration of them. Um, you know, like, like a lot of times film fans, but not like mainstream yes. in the culture. Yes. Yeah. So like a lot of film people have seen these movies or, you know, there are people like me where they've sat on the watch list for a long, long time. But yeah, the it's not annoying, you know. Um, it's not the the hype isn't annoying, is what I'm trying to say. Let's uh, move on to the B plot. Um, we're gonna do a best ever challenge, so number five to number one style of our favorite movies that released from 1985 to 1989. We were originally. We were kind of tossing back and forth a couple ideas, and I suggested, and we were going to roll with movies set in wartime that aren't really about war, uh, meaning like the war is essential to the film, but it's not necessarily about fighting. It's not necessarily about the soldiers or shooting guns or whatnot. Um, and uh, turns out that's a pretty narrow list um, and has a lot of discrepancies. Variations. That's not even the right word I'm looking for, but a lot of uh it'd be very difficult to come up with a definition on what define what there, fits this category. Semantics so is maybe categories. the word you're looking so, for. Yeah. Semantics, um, yeah, sure. We got into so, a lot of semantics. So we're doing so we're doing a best ever challenge number five to number one on our favorite movies that released between 1995 and Whoa. sorry, 85 I and make a new list. So um, <laughs> we'll go number five to number one with Trump rules, all that good stuff. Um, For more thoughts on Trump, go to my truth social account, <laughs> Robert, because of that comment, why don't you go ahead and kick <laughs> us off? Uh, my number five is raising Arizona. I didn't double check, but this is quite high up on my Cohen brothers rankings. It's just the right mix of uh, their wacky goofiness and actual pathos. Uh, I really like the early Coen Brothers movies, especially when they start getting comedic. Um, yeah, great Nicolas Cage performance, great Holly Hunter performance. It's a great movie all around. Nice. Uh, Jake, why don't you go next? Oh, okay, number five is where I had Stand By Me. Ooh. Uh, number five is where I had Glory. Mm, nice. Oh, sweet. Um... I was like, I don't know. Like, I could see this being a sneaky, like, number three for somebody. Glory's awesome. It's got a great performance, uh, especially from Denzel Washington. Uh, I think his first film role. Um, And uh, it's just a great Civil War movie. Um, It's not quite perfect, but it's, uh, yeah, it's great. Um, And if you haven't seen it, you definitely should. Yeah, yeah. Broderick and uh, Uh, Frank are great in that, too. I don't think it was his first movie, but he, it was his first Oscar, I believe. Or maybe first nomination. I want to say it was his first like credited role. No, I'm looking now. Sure? Okay. He has about five or six before that. Mm, okay. Well, he won, he won best supporting actor, though, right? Am I <laughs> As usual. That correctly? I'm. I think yes. I think it, it was. It was his first nomination, and he won. Denzel won. Yes. Yeah. He's the he's only got actor to be nominated. 
Nice. Um, yeah, I don't know. Broderick doesn't quite work in that movie for me. That's like maybe like my one big hang up. But um, yeah, it's a good movie. Uh, number four is then. Yes. So back to me. Mm-hmm. You kicked us off, I think, right? We're back at number four where uh, we talked about Last Temptation of Christ a while ago. That's my number four. Uh, that is a super high honorable mention. for me. It's not going to be the last Scorsese on my list because Scorsese was just going crazy in the 80s um, and his entire career. But you just look at the 80s and it's just hit after hit after hit. Sure. I mean, his whole career is just hit after hit after hit after hit. Sure. Wolf of Wall Street hit after hit after hit. <laughs> I, I mean, like, successful movie, like, good movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. And I know I'm in the minor. Yeah, I, I like Wolf of Wall Street. I just don't love it. Um, what do you not yeah, like honor- about? Oh, I should listen to the episode to. Yeah, hear. you should do that. Um, I think we. Uh, I was on that one. We talked <laughs> you into it a little bit. Yeah, right. You were on that episode. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I just. I still need to see last How temptation. Do you not like the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. It's not that I don't like it. It's just it's not great. How do you? It's not good. Think- it's really good. Okay, I, I'm. I'm gonna listen to the episode. Um, Jacob, uh, what's this your number is where four? I had Scrooged. From 1988, probably my favorite Bill Murray performance, if if not top three. I mean, that's saying something. Yeah, he just he comes off as like. I mean, did you even see? Oh, him? Yeah, yeah. oh <laughs> I I forgot to. Okay, that's number one, and then don't get me started on Quantum Mania. Okay. Oh my god. Um. Yeah, I love this movie. One of my favorite Christmas movies to watch uh, every every season. Um. Just the I, I'm always down for a Christmas Carol adaptation and the way they uh, sort of adapt it to like the TV production uh, <clears throat> environment is, is really clever, I think. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I was going through the lists of all the years and that just it stood out to me. It's just a movie that makes me happy. Nice. Uh, my number four is and now we can talk about it. It's yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you want to say? Uh, about it? You know, in hindsight, I should have put it at number four over Scrooge, but that's okay. We can still talk about it. It's um, yeah, it's a <laughs> classic. You've got four really great child performances. You know, I mean, it's um, introducing us to some of these kids for the first time, I believe, um, and really good source material, obviously from the uh, Stephen King novella. Uh, really good Rob Reiner uh, direction. Um, you know, he was on a hot streak uh, at the moment. And this was uh, in, right in right in there. Not the last time we'll say his name. Ooh, there you go. And uh, yeah, I just talk about a movie that makes me happy, man. Like it's it's so good. Yeah, it's it in in a, it works as what, what's so incredible to movie about me about the movie to me is it works as just kind of a slice of life movie, but it also works as like a narrative. Um, you know, plot driven, like it, it works if you just want to casually turn it on and watch these four kids kind of, you know, go through this, you know, couple of day adventure, um, pretty lighthearted. But then also when you, when you want to, to look into it and you process, you know, the emotions and, um, get, get a little bit more of the context, there's a lot of subtext in the movie. Uh, it's just, it just works on both levels really well. Uh, number threes. The reason I said we were going to mention Rob Reiner's name again, by the way, is because he's in The Wolf of Wall Street, which is a great movie. Um, yeah. My number three is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's my holiday movie oh, for this list. Nice. Not where I thought you were going. No, I'll get I'll get there eventually. I just need oh, okay. to point out that, again, that you're wrong about Wolf of Wall Street. You're going to be more offended than I don't like that movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yeah, that's right. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles <laughs> is a great movie. Uh, yeah, I, I, li- I really like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yeah, I've seen it a bunch of times. Um, 
Yeah, it's just one of those. There's not many Thanksgiving movies to throw on every year, uh, and this is this is the one that I always make sure I put on. Uh, Steve Martin and John Candy together. I don't know. It really it you'll it'll be difficult to if you wanted to fill out a top ten of like comedy movie duos, they would be quite high on the list. Yeah, yeah, they work off each other really well. Mm-hmm. I'm even trying to think of. It's a shame they they never did anything else together, right? I mean, Steve Martin, Martin Short, like no. Yeah, I mean, hmm? him and Martin Short have a similar dynamic, but, like, somehow John Candy is even more annoying I was than talking Martin Short. <laughs> somehow. I was thinking yeah, Three yeah. Amigos for that, yeah. But I know, I haven't seen Only Murders in the Building. Well, I just mean, like, when they're the two focus, like, Three Amigos has Chevy Chase also. Like, yeah. these these are the two main guys, you know. Uh, have we considered Robert Downey Jr. and Zach Galifianakis in Due Date? Ironically, I really like that movie, too. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it being a super forgettable. I've I've actually seen that about five times, even though it's exactly <laughs> planes and trains. I didn't give that so, movie like the time of day after I realized it was a planes, trains, and automobiles ripoff. Like, it's yeah, exactly it, the same it, movie. It, it is like I couldn't. It's fine. Like I like Zach and Robert, but it's it's Todd Phillips's planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> what did you say? It's Todd. It's Todd Phillips's planes, yeah. trains, and automobiles. And he's much better at comedy than not comedy. Yeah, you're right. Um, uh, that was your number three. Jacob, what's your number three? Uh, before we move on, I just want to shout out my friend Dylan and his family, who every year, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, watches Planes, Trains, and Automobiles because they're crazy. That's the way to do it. And I join in every year because they're, no, they're smart. smart. Not not crazy. No, there smart. you go. Um, number three is where I had Aliens. Hmm. Yeah, this is maybe the best action movie ever made. I'm just going to say it like it's awesome. James Cameron doesn't make bad movies. Yeah. Get away from Big her. Jim. B word. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I love I, I had only watched, seen this in like the last couple of years. Um, and I, I checked that off my watch list finally. And I mean, what can you say? It's 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 just so cool. One of the coolest movies ever. I Googled Thanksgiving films because I was curious. Ooh, like, I got one. There's got to be one that we're I got missing, one. right? Pieces of April. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen it. Starring a young Katie Holmes. She plays a girl who lives in New York City with her her boyfriend who is trying to prepare a Thanksgiving meal for her family that's coming in. There's all kinds of family drama. Her parents are played by Patricia Clarkson and Oliver Platt. That alone is awesome. See, that sounds like a Thanksgiving movie. I've got um, Prisoners (laughs) is a super common. Oh, that is a Thanksgiving (laughs) movie. Heartwarming. I mean, kind of. Very heartwarming. It's not really, but kind of. I mean, doesn't the incident happen on Thanksgiving yeah. like the two families get together yeah. for a holiday? I'm pretty sure, yes, but, like, it's such a small part. Like, <laughs> I throw it on every year. Right. Yeah, you throw it on during the... <laughs> yeah. you, you you throw it on and you send all the kids right. to go play in the... Grandma loves that movie. Town. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Grandma loves the yep. Paul Dano part. Adam's yeah. Family Values is listed. Um, funny People. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, because it takes place in the fall? It has Do orange, animals celebrate Thanksgiving? Color palette? I don't know. Also a good question. In Wes Anderson <laughs> yeah, world, sure yes. Uh, in real world, no. Um, Paul Bart Mall Cop, naturally. Oh, that's true. Uh, I love how I anyway, mentioned a, like, a, lit- a literal Thanksgiving movie and it doesn't show up on your list. It's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> I might just watch that season two episode of The Bear every Thanksgiving. Um, oh. Um, my number three is Indiana Jones: and The Last Crusade. Yeah. I don't mention. Um, I this is this is the best Indiana Jones movie. 
Um, Wrong. Right. Um, <laughs> it's Dial of Destiny. Oh, right. Sorry, I forgot about <laughs> Dial of Destiny. Um, no, it's actually the first game. Anyway, go ahead. It's close, but it's Crusade for me. I think I think Ford and Connery just work so well together. Um, if only Miriam would have been in that one, it might have. Exactly. It would be, yes. But, um, maybe if they would have had Shia LaBeouf in it too. You know? <laughs> that, <laughs> no. that puts it over the top. Yeah, it just it works. It just it works on every level. You know, me and my wife watched them all again, and it's just fun. Even though you know exactly where the movie's going every time, it's fun because and the witty, it. the witty bit. Yeah, because I've seen it more than any other one um, for sure. the The witty banter between Ford and Connery just just works really well, and uh, the movie's twists and turns are set up well. the The mysteries are fun, and it's just got one of the best endings of all time. Um, and uh, yeah, just there's always like a couple moments in there. Like, like I feel like obligatory nice guys reference, but it's just one of those where every time you watch the movie and you're like, I completely forgot about that moment or that scene. And it just hits you right every time. Like, uh, like I know it's popular and you could be like, how on earth did you forget about this? But the moment when Indy runs into Adolf Hitler at the book burning and he like <laughs> has it like, it's, it's just so fun. Uh, the movie's great. Both movies with Hitler jokes. You know who only had one ball? <laughs> Hitler only had one ball. <laughs> Uh, you know who else was just following orders, Hitler? <laughs> My number I, two. I, oh, go ahead. I love that people have just been saying all over Twitter, like, I have a feeling everybody's going to find out about the nice guys after Barbie this weekend. And it's like, please. I sure hope so. God. Well, yeah. Let's get into the top ten on Netflix. You're number two. No, Good. let's get, I don't know if it's in there. Let's oh, get it I thought in you there. said it. Please. Um, yeah. If I had a Netflix subscription, I would just put yeah. it on a loop just to try to get it. It's on in the background right now. <laughs> Robert, he, what's your number two? He's just March, and that's enough. My number two is a movie you still need to see, and that's After Hours. Uh, maybe, I think I've had like three on my Scorsese rankings. This is, I guess, not so quietly anymore. Over the last couple of years, I've seen people talk about it, about, like that it's secretly a great Scorsese, and it really, really is. Um, yeah, it's not really what you'd think of because it's not, gangster it's not like epic or anything like that um but it's still really great uh yeah will you is this an anthology is it an anthology no i thought okay i i, I didn't know scorsese's, I thought scorsese's been part of a couple of those but after hours okay. isn't one i thought i thought he did one that was like an anthology in the 80s i couldn't remember if it was after hours or not. no uh, i was just curious yeah um, he, he has done those but not this one Got it. And uh, I feel like, Robert, to your point, you were the first person that I ever heard mention this movie. But ever since I've heard you talk about it, it seems like a lot of other people have said. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's a Criterion release now. And, you know, it's got a lot more, a lot of traction. But I feel like you were the first person I've ever heard mention this movie. So credit to you for being OG. Yeah, I. Uh, it would be really nice if I got this for my birthday. <laughs> I own this well, if I watch it, since I blind buy it, if I don't like if I don't like it, I'll just send it to you. <laughs> no, I'm I'm saying that's one of the ones I bought, and I'm getting myself for my birthday. <laughs> Laura's listening. <laughs> no, she's not. Uh, <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> Take a look. I'll just say about two. After Hours real quick. I tried. I watched like 20 mm. minutes of it mm. and couldn't get into it. Like I'm sure it gets better. Really? Like maybe I was expecting something more Scorsese esque, but. For you, Robert, That's, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, it's much more like um, King of Comedy than you know Raging Bull. It's like it's quirky Scorsese. It's comedy Scorsese yeah, in a way you don't often see. That see. was my problem with it was he wasn't verbally and physically abusing anyone like in Raging Bull. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Is it more 
Wolf of Wall Street or <laughs> Aviator? More Wolf of Wall Street because it's good. <laughs> okay, so my number two. But Aviator. I don't think I'm missing out on anything. I'm so yeah. excited <laughs> to bring up maybe one of my favorite. No, it's my favorite 80s movie, Broadcast News. Hold on. How can your favorite 80s movie be okay, your number fair enough, two? Fair enough. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, my number one is the best 80s movie. Sure. But this is my favorite 80s movie. Uh, loophole. Fair enough. Yeah, okay. Broadcast News is really good. It's like maybe the best romantic comedy ever made. Uh, this is a James L. Brooks movie starring Holly about Hunter, William Hurt, and Albert that. Brooks. I just automatically start explaining this movie because I feel like no one's ever seen it or it doesn't get talked about at all. Um, but yeah, it's just the dialogue is so sharp, so clever. The love triangle between Holly Hunter and William Hurt and Albert Brooks is heartbreaking and hilarious and just written so well and performed so well. You know, the, the scene towards like the, the third act of the movie where Albert Brooks says, I wish you were two people so I could tell the other one how much I like you or I butchered that quote, but if you know, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I, yeah, it's, I only discovered this movie a few years ago myself. And, I, you know, I really only knew James L. Brooks from The Simpsons. Um, and, yeah, I I could watch this on repeat. It's it's comfort food for me. I, I don't know if you guys appreciate it as much as I do. I could go on. No, it's when it's it. on my watch list. Really? So gotta check it out. It's a treat, brother. It's a treat. Maybe, maybe yeah. for next go schedule. Um, my number two will get trumped. It's Back to the Future. Crickets. Right? <laughs> Apparently not. Wow. All right. I like I mean, I that a lot. But there's that was gonna be there's so one. many movies from this four-year period. Like, I, I kind of figured this was going to happen. Like, yeah. all our lists would be different. I it's thought a, for sure Back to the Future would have been somebody's number one. I mean, it's a five-star movie for me, but this is just a favorites list, and I got other favorites. That's fair. I think also, like, eh, uh, it's it's... It's it's a really good movie, but like if you want to, it depends on how you want to define it, right? I defined on I defined based off of like favorite, you know, meaning pick a movie to watch right now, and it's you know going to be going to be that um, that over this or that, and then that'll determine favorite. But uh, um, you know, I think I think also some some certainly like good technical achievements and could be Oscar noms like screenplay and whatnot. Anyway. Um, Back to the Future is great. There's no reason to give. Would you any say more, it's think. the most iconic um, movie from this period, from the '80s? Probably from this '85 to late '80s. Yes, '85 to '89, absolutely. Um, I could think of only one other that's an honorable mention for me. Um, that might be your number one. Then I don't know. Um, but I'll just I'll just say it. We can move. I think maybe the only one they could contend is Die Hard, only because that kind of that's true. Like set the stage for all 90s action movies but to me die hard feels more like a 90s movie even though it's 88 than it does an 80s movie back to the future feels mm-hmm. genuinely 80s and 50s but um no i would say for sure it's the most like the most 80s um late 80s um uh, because i think empire strikes back was 80s so that could continue. oh yeah if you're talking about the whole decade um, maybe and then yeah um yeah. turn of the jedi is what um 87 i mean you probably have to throw that in there too but I mean, even if you want to go in terms of tone, like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is kind of like a super 80s yeah. movie. If you were talking iconic, I wouldn't put Bill and Ted even close to any of those other ones. Well, I'm, I, no, if we're talking iconic versus oh, well, feels, feels the most 80s. 80s. Yeah, you could say like, I, think, I don't know, Revenge of the Nerds. Porkies. Yeah, I think the cover, the topic shifted in there. Yeah, I think I forgot. <laughs> anyway, Back to the Future was my number two. I think that'll take us to our number ones. Uh, yeah, Robert. 
Uh, I'm going to preface this and say, Aaron, you're not allowed to say anything um, because my number one is easily the Princess Bride. This is where Rob Reiner is coming back around. <sighs> yeah, like, I totally missed that. I forgot it was what 86, 87? I, 87, yes. the year that you suggested we do a top five I on really just eighty seven. I really missed that. <laughs> yep, easily number one for me. Like, it's just okay. Uh, I'll shut up. I told you you're not allowed to speak. I love this movie um, too. I've yeah, said it yeah. a couple of times on this. I'm right there with you, man. Just like most yeah. people do, because <laughs> I know because we're right and Aaron's wrong. Um, yeah, like a, like a lot of other movies I mentioned, I've seen this a thousand times. I could quote every line of it. Um, it's just as charming and fun and awesome and great and heartwarming as any movie you'll ever see. Um, no matter what the host of this podcast incorrectly states so aaron hates fun i think it's I just exactly i think it's just that it was way overhyped for me like it it would be the equivalent of if you for the first time watched the nice guys with me today like that's fair it would never live up to your expectations so i think there it was you just go way again overhyped with those expectations with a group i know that's the expectations kill kill movies and that's why i'm almost, I'm almost a little excited to you know Maybe even do away with the coming attractions for a hot minute, but also just help reset my brain. Oh, so are we? Oh man, this is going to be part of our before conversation, isn't it? You have, expectations? Yeah, you're going to have too high of expectations for that. No, because again, there's like before the before trilogy is is very popular among film people, but not necess- not not even like pretentious film people. Like Princess Bride is just everybody and their mother sees has seen that movie and loves it and thinks it's the best movie of all time and it's fine because it is <laughs> yeah it is fine no um, no no but no it's just i didn't see it for the first time until i was in high school on a road trip with people that had been quoting it all week long um and we finally sat down and watched i'm like it's okay like it's 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 certainly iconic it's certainly funny I thought you the rule here was that you weren't allowed to talk about this. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> you're right. I, I will shut up because I don't mean to diminish your number one. I think, like, you are absolutely right. It's the minor. I, I'm the minority. I think a lot of people would have it at number one. I, uh, yeah. Yeah, Jake, I don't care that. If I had remembered that movie existed or at least came out in this time period, it would have made the list. See, even Jacob thinks it's forgettable. Just... <laughs> Wait until you hear my honorable mentions. No, my picks were, like, all over the place. My number one. Well, what's your number one? Is what I think is maybe the best movie of the '80s. It's going to be Spike Lee's "Do the Right Thing." I think this movie is a masterpiece. Mm. It obviously has so much to say, especially for that time period. It's shot beautifully. The score is incredible. The performances are incredible. You feel the tension of that heat of the summer day that, and it, it just permeates you. And the first time I saw this movie, I was knocked out. I'm like, yeah, cinema. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, this is one I could rewatch over and over. And I mean, with, with breaks in between, because it's like, it, it's obviously so intense at times. And um, right. Yeah, I think um, Spike Lee is obviously one of our greatest directors. And he he did uh, did something really great early in his career and has, you know, a legacy to uh, um, to work off of. And yeah, I, I just think it's one of the talk about a goat. Like I don't know if you guys have done that on goats, but it's it's up there. I think we both uh, already no, seen be- it, right? Because we'd both already seen it. Yeah. I I do need a rewatch because I remember liking that movie but not loving it, and I think I should love it. Um, but bad takes left and right today. It's not like I said the movie was bad. I said I liked it. Like um, speaking of bad takes, my number one is <laughs> Cinema Paradiso. 
Um, oh, it just not a bad take. No, not at all. But um, interesting. I just ever since we watched it for the podcast, I it it's the one that I can like that I I look back and I think like if there were five movies that I was so happy that this podcast finally made me watch, like this is certainly like one of the first top five. Um, you know. And recency bias, but like Moulin Rouge and Kid Detective are also up there. Um, and eight and a half. Yeah, uh, certainly eight and a half. <laughs> um, and, and the birds. Um, but uh, no, uh, it's it's just one of those that Robert knows how much I love it. And um, I I think I have rewatched this movie more than any other movie that we've done for this podcast. I typically like I because we do this podcast, it mean, like it means that when I rewatch movies, it's because I watch them with my wife and she hasn't even seen this, but this is one that I've pulled on a good number of times. Um, sometimes even just to listen to it, but um, no, I, I just love this movie. And maybe this is your gateway to, if you've been listening to this podcast and you've heard of this movie for a long time and you haven't seen it, this will be your finally pull the trigger. Yes. It's Italian. Um, yes. It's from the eighties. Yes. 80s. It's Italian. That's always a negative from the, from the jump. <laughs> But I mean, like, yes, there's going to be subtitles is like more of what I'm saying. Yes, gotcha. there's going to be subtitles. Guess what? So does Parasite. Parasite's one of the best movies ever made. Um, you know, and, you know, yes, it's from the 80s and it didn't have a massive budget like most Hollywood movies. But um, I just love it. On to our honorable mentions. Um, you know, maybe here's a hot take. I, I have Die Hard in here and it feels like Die Hard maybe should have been in the top five. I'm sure a lot of people would. But um, I don't know. I think I'm just liking Die Hard less and less the more I watch it. Like, it's still good. But like, it's still really good, but I don't know. I just, I would, I want to watch Die Hard with a Vengeance instead of Die Hard every time. Um, Which one is Die Hard every time? <laughs> that's is the, that like the, one. the one, one they're working on. Yeah. I'd watch okay. it. Um, yeah. No, I just, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I don't like, it's just so fun. It, it works so well. Anyway, uh, but that's a 95. Uh, obviously, Die Hard's great. Um, I also have. A movie that I was going to put in my initial like movies about or movies in wartime that aren't necessarily about soldiers, uh, Grave of the Fireflies, um, which is my favorite Studio Ghibli film. Uh, the original and Lethal Weapon 2 were both in this time period and um, big fan of those movies. Um, Platoon, which we already mentioned, uh, The Breakfast Club and The Evil Dead 2 round out my honorable mentions, which The Evil Dead 2 is my favorite Evil Dead movie. Mm. Did you see Evil Dead Rise? <laughs> I was just curious. I think that's the only Evil Dead movie I've seen. And yeah, it's good. Interesting. Evil Dead dude's next level for me. Um, Anybody else? What honorable mentions do you have? I I pretty much stuck exclusively to things that I gave four and a half or five in this time period. Because if I would have gone lower, then it would have been a list. Um, I'll mention 1989 Batman. That almost made my list. I like that movie a lot. Um, uh, Robert mentioned Raising Arizona. That's probably... One of my favorite Cohen movies, The Goonies. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is 86. Um, let's see, The Color of Money, another Scorsese movie I really enjoy. I almost my, put it on yeah. there. I almost had three Scorsese was on close my for me. top five. Um, Little Shop of Horrors, um, Beetlejuice, Midnight Run, um, and Rain Man are, are the ones I wanted to mention. I'll just add Fields of Dreams and Full Metal Jacket. Oh, yeah. Full Metal Jacket was one that I was also like initially thinking this could fall into that, you know, movies in wartime, not about war, but the first half could. The second yeah. half could. But I was thinking maybe it's that could fall in. Very much mm-hmm. in war in the second half. I know. That's why it's like it kind of falls apart. But yeah, that was one that I was thinking of. And, I, and then I was even thinking like stripes would work. But again, mm-hmm. the second half, like they're actually in a battle. And I don't, 
I don't know that it's necessarily war. Yeah, but they're in... Oh, Dead Poet Society is also in this time. Oh, yeah. <coughs> yeah, it is. There's a lot of good options in 85 to 89. Plenty of good stuff. Um, when Harry Met Sally. Oh, yeah. 89 is kind of like Dickie's a delivery service. Year, right? Yeah. Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Plenty of good stuff. Um, well... That'll do it uh, for the B plot. Uh, if you have suggestions on things you want to talk about, especially since uh, things you want us to talk about, especially since like you guys know at least some of these that we're doing in advance. Like if you're listening and you know we're doing the before trilogy next uh, next month, uh, and you're like, hey, I think this would be a good suggestion. Send it our way, and uh, we'd love to consider it uh, for for a B plot. That'll just take us to the spinoff and. Uh, one thing in any area of pop culture that you would like to quickly recommend or warn. Um, I'll let you guys go first because I don't know what I'm doing yet. Uh, let's go. Let's start with Jacob. Cool. So I just watched a really cool documentary on uh, Max the other, the other night um, called Monterey Pop. Uh, this is a uh, 1960, I think it came out in 68, uh, 68, 69. Um it's a concert film from the Monterey Inter- International Pop Festival uh, in uh, San Francisco, I believe. Um, and this uh, is like one of the greatest con- concert films I've ever seen. This is this festival was sort of like a Woodstock before Woodstock. You, and this was right in the era of the hippies and the flower children and whatnot. And um, just so many good performances in this movie. It's only like 70-something minutes long. But when you see some of the footage... It's probably stuff that you've seen before, just like because it's so iconic. But then there's some some hidden gems in there too. Like I'll just read the lineup, and you can be the judge. But like the Mamas and the Papas, Canned Heat, Simon and Garfunkel, Jefferson Airplane, Janis Joplin, The Who, Otis Redding, and then it closes with Jimi Hendrix and Ravi Shankar. So it, and it doesn't even it's not even editorial editorializing anything. It's just doc, literally documenting. Mm-hmm. And there's some fun B-roll of like the the hippies that are in the crowd, and you the little short interviews with them, and sort of uh, the the goings on of um, the festival. But the really interesting thing they do with B-roll is so this Ravi Shankar performance is probably a good ten minutes long, and it slowly gets like faster and faster and faster and more intense, and yeah, he's just shredding on the sitar, and until like the last two minutes of the performance, all you see is the audience reaction. So it's just cutting from the different faces of everyone watching this sort of, you know, a a general malaise that slowly turns into like awe and and just excitement for what they're seeing. And um, this also has footage of uh, Roger Daltrey of The Who uh, smashing his guitar, uh, as he did several times. I I loved that. And then the the most iconic thing from this is uh, Jimi Hendrix... uh, laying his guitar on the ground, lighting it on fire, and then uh, breaking it and throwing the neck into the audience, which is one of the clips that I mentioned that you've probably seen. Um, but I'm a sucker for this era of music. Uh, I'm a sucker for, for a concert film, and it just kind of popped up on Max one night and had never heard of it, and I was uh, blown away. So, uh, yeah, Monterey Pop. Nice. Nice. Uh, Robert, what you got? I've been doing a lot of rewatching lately, so... Uh because I just wanted to get into the mood for the Barbenheimer double feature. So I rewatched Lady Bird for the first mm, time nice. in a few years. Mm. And man, for some reason, it just hit me different. I'm older than Lady Bird was in the movie, and I'm younger than her mom was in the movie. Um, but for some reason, 
being right in that middle age, I was seeing both of their perspectives and man, it hit me in a different way than it ever had. It's probably like my fourth time seeing it. Um, I think it's easily, but far and away, Greta Gerwig's best movie. And I do love Little Women and like Barbie a lot. Um, yeah, there's, I I don't, you know, everyone knows about Lady Bird at this point, especially if you're listening to this podcast. But um, there's just something about it that made it even more emotional. The jokes hit even harder. Um, the Saoirse Ronan performance is just even better. Um, and I just want to get back to a time where Lucas Hedges is allowed to be in movies. Free Lucas Hedges. Where is, is he? he? Not allowed to be in movies. I he and uh, Chalamet were coming up at the same time. Chalamet took off, and now Lucas Hedges is doing um, Brokeback Mountain on stage with Mike Faced instead of being in movies. Which good for him, but let's yeah, get him back I mean, in on screen. That still sounds awesome. But yeah, I we were talking about him recently because I just I. I he was in Waves, yeah, mm-hmm. and we so we talk about him on the Waves episode. But yeah, he's good oh, in yeah. that too. That like 2015 to 2019 period, there's got to be like 10 movies that he's in yeah. that are fantastic that he's fantastic in. Didn't he get nominated yeah, for Manchester that was by the Sea too? Yeah, and then I think he got nominated for what was it? <sighs> I'm trying to blank. No, he's not bird? in that movie that much, is he? Maybe Manchester's his only no, nomination, he's, but I think. I think Manchester, yeah, I think Manchester by the Sea is his only nomination, but he's, like you said, you just go from uh, Manchester by the Sea, Lady Bird, Three Billboards, Boy Race, Ben is Back, Mid-90s, Honey Boy, Waves, and then all of a sudden he just kind of disappears. That is quite a run. Good Lord. I know. Mm-hmm. And it's all just like really solid movies, but nothing that's like a huge hit, and it's just like waiting for that huge hit. He's the Indie Darling, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I don't have a spinoff still so i'll just say i'm recommending lucas yeah <laughs> yeah hopefully well, the studio is probably a good recommendation right i feel like yeah. a lot of people haven't seen that or or mid 90s yeah but we mid-90s? talked about it we talked about honey waves boy? two weeks ago on the podcast so i haven't seen mid 90s oh, yeah? haven't seen honey boy good. i mean manchester by the sea is my favorite well yeah favorite movie that he's in I was like, maybe three billboards, but... That's the one I was uh, forgetting. I always forget that he's in that. Well, he's yeah. He's got a maybe enough role. It's it's like when you remember that Thomas and Mackenzie was in The Power of the Dog. You're like, yeah, because she was in for half <laughs> yeah. a scene. Like, um, was she? I don't even remember that now. She's like the daughter of some person set Ooh. closely related. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's, she's not got in like there three total minutes that, of screen time. That is kind of strange. And she's giving nothing to do to stand out. So, yeah. Um, anyway. sounds like last night in Soho. Mm. Boom, Fair. roasted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a wrap. Remember, you can follow Robert and Jacob at the place that they mentioned at the top of the show. I'll probably start linking Letterboxd um, as socials for people that have them. Um, probably going to start linking that. So, uh, just because with all this Twitter, Threads, Instagram, Blue Sky, everything just kind of becoming. Probably just if you have Letterboxd, I'll probably just promote Letterboxd. Instead. Is Threads even a thing? Like, has it stuck around? It, I don't know that it's had a ton of staying power like people that are using it are certainly like really using it but i think people were just like like i think people were impatient because they wanted it to be great from the start and it was always intended to be like like you start and there's only one timeline and it's just full of a bunch of people you don't follow but it's like everybody's starting fresh like we got to figure out the algorithm on what we want to recommend you eventually they are turning it into kind of like how there's twitter where there's like for you and following but 
but they're like you have to start following people and how do you know who to follow who's on here um i feel like it's lost a little momentum but i downloaded the app but never pulled the trigger and then i deleted the app just because zuck has my information he doesn't need it again <laughs> you know i figured if he and already facebook has isn't it, even any good it's not gonna hurt nor is instagram no yeah it's just i guess letterbox is the only good i definitely name. used that yeah if only letterbox if only letterbox would start a social media like um, other than the social yeah. aspects of their app it would just be film twitter <laughs> film twitter the app yeah, yeah we why not uh, you know yeah. there's no uh, elon musk there so it's great that's always yet. that's yeah. always a good thing <laughs> I'll also um, just say you can follow me on Twitter, Letterboxd. Uh, if you want threads, I think I've posted one thread in the last week um, at Castle. Pretty much anything that I'm on, you can find me there. And a quick reminder, it's Hip Hop Rider Zoom is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. If you're interested in writing for SipPop.com or you want to get in contact with the show, send a question to explore during the B-plot, then you can email writersroomatsipop.com. And if you're listening over iTunes or Spotify, please drop a review. Would really appreciate that. Next week, Nick and Foster will be joining me to talk about Bram Stoker's Dracula and The Sixth Sense. Um, wanted to get this scheduled a little closer to October, but um, schedules, you know. So Sixth Sense and Bram Stoker's Dracula for next week. In two weeks, Joe and Jason will be joining me to talk about the films Westworld and Future World. And next month, as previously mentioned, Robert and Jake will be joining me to talk about the Before Trilogy. Robert, I think you just have one more thing to say before we sign off. I actually have two. One is that uh, the first Saturday of August, I'll be talking with Jacob again and Jeffrey about uh, movies of July on the review roundup. And uh, yeah, but until then, I think we do have to get back to the writer's room.